Hello and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 77. Chris, did you know that 77 is the sum of three consecutive squares? Uh, nope. Cool. For bonus points in five seconds, can you name those squares? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, it would have to be like 16, uh, 25, and, and 36. Oh my God, yes. All That's right. exactly right. It's four squared, five squared, and six squared. I would, I would not have been able to do that. That was, that was really impressive. Well, it's consecutive, so it has to be. You got to divide it by three, and then that's about the middle square. So that's how I did that. That's pretty good. Well done. That was. I was trying to pressure you for comedic <laughs> effect, but I wasn't expecting you to actually get it. Uh, cool. Uh, how you doing? What's up? Uh, I, I'm doing all right. Uh, like my whole family is basically sick. Um, oh. I have mostly avoided it. But yeah, we've gotten COVID tested, flu tested, and strep tested, uh, different ones of us, for, and, mm. and it's none of that. So it's just some virus which uh, presents itself differently in, in all of us, I guess. So whatever. It, it is what it is. <laughs> My sister's family is also sick with uh, their 10-month-old son, Jack. And then I had a day this last week where I slept for 12 hours unprompted. Uh, maybe it's COVID-2 or something. Uh, <laughs> COVID-2. COVID it evades all tests. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I uh, hope yeah. yeah yeah but otherwise doing all right cool what did you get up to this last week what are you thinking about um let's see uh, i had some little things first uh let's see i almost bought a 3d printer like i was uh, <laughs> I, uh I did not though no um, but i know i saw um someone posted sdl files for a, an adapter which fits onto the camera that i have and goes to a microscope lens a microscope objective i guess it's called the, the lower lens which means you can turn your camera into a very neat uh microscope um and they posted some really cool photos that they got and i wanted to take some photos like that myself but i did not do that <laughs> so uh but yeah maybe in the future i will 3d print a thing for my camera um, i also have other old lenses which don't have adapters for them and then i can 3d print adapters for them like really old like mm. large format um lenses which are just like neat they're they're relatively inexpensive well relatively inexpensive compared to other lenses and they produce some cool effects um yeah so maybe in the future i will 3d print some adapters that sounds sweet and it doesn't this 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 to me is the first step towards buying one once you get this critical mass of like well if i had a 3d printer i could get this thing which is of roughly this value to me and a 3d printer costs 300 dollars. so once you get you know 150 dollars of value of things that you could print as soon as you get the printer uh, I, I think that's how it works. And I feel like you went through a similar process with your GPU. Like once you were at a stage where you were doing enough ML stuff that uh, it, it made sense to flip from trying to minimize the amount of GPU you were using uh, when you were paying for it per hour on Google Colab to uh, trying to maximize how much you were using it. Like it, it's about building up that critical threshold. So I'm glad that you have one thing that's on your list of things that you would immediately print once you got a 3D printer. They are so much fun. You would have so much fun with it. Yeah, I suspect so. Um, which uh, So about the GPU, by the way, because crypto is crashing, uh, GPU prices are back to MSRP. So yeah, um, that's interesting. Uh, but now I'm looking at uh, even more expensive GPUs, like the next level up. I've basically been saturating my current one. And so uh, we'll see. Well, they're, they're a lot more expensive, though. What's, so what's the next level up? How much more expensive? uh the so the gpus are like six grand each the ones that i'm looking six at grand. and i want two of them um wow and then i would need a computer that could power those as well i'm so, not as good but as that's like a, but i'm pretty sure that's twelve thousand dollars on gpu plus the computer 
Oh um, boy. Yeah. So that's not something I could just like plop down. That's like a, I got to get a contract and a business expense, like just for that kind of money. So we'll see. It is though, if I run it 24 hours a day, seven days a week for a whole year, then, uh, or for six, six months and I pay it back. So, because it costs like $3 an hour to rent. Okay. um, That's in the realm of feasibility that like you would get a contracting job that you would need that much power for that would pay that much or more yes it is um are you so, looking we'll for those sorts of jobs is there a is there a job uh, board for not especially although two recently have sort of come my way and uh one i said i was overbooked on because i i am doing too many things um and mm-hmm. then the other one we're sort of still talking so we'll see okay. um i maybe i'll get a contracting job just to pay for the gpu yeah cool. um, which I, i'm so i'm doing a lot of things um, i'm also currently enrolled in a master's class for the summer too um so uh, but I might drop it. If I drop it the next two days, I get a refund. Um, and it's the summer, so I might take the summer off because I'm doing a lot. Um, so we'll see. If a listener of makers.dev knows of anyone who would pay tens of thousands of dollars to have <laughs> a ML problem solved, uh, we got your guy right here. <laughs> That's right. I also accept payment in A6000s, <laughs> so, which is the GPU I want. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I just watched an episode of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel with Sarah last night, and there's a scene where they go to a voiceover job, and uh, she's acting as a voiceover artist and says something like, ah, the the syrup is so flavorful and creamy. And then they're, they're like, ah, that was great. Well done. Uh, and then they ask for the check, and they're like, oh, didn't you read the contract of how uh, payment works? And they walk out with two huge crates of the syrup, this, <laughs> this flavorful <laughs> syrup. <laughs> uh you you would be really happy with that sort of <laughs> situation being paid as right. the, the thing you're working on um oh i wanted to say also we we both have been cutting our hair since the beginning of covid and there's a device that i think we talked about of uh it's called a floby where you connect it to a vacuum cleaner and you stick a pair of scissors in it or a um like a automatic buzzer uh, i forgot what they're called and you just run it over your head and it cleans up as it's cutting your hair to whatever the predefined set length is. Uh, that's another thing that you could 3D print. Add that to the pile. That's That's gotta be worth like $50. I think Flobies, <laughs> if you buy them on eBay, are like $100 or something because they stopped making them in the 90s, early 2000s. Uh, yeah, that, that sounds interesting. Yes, I have been cutting my hair since COVID uh, and uh, it all goes in the sink right now. Well, and then I try to fish it out because otherwise it clogs up the sink, but yeah. <laughs> Cool. Uh, what yeah. else did you get up to? Kaggle's always a thing. How's yeah. how's Kaggle going? Yeah. So uh, I think last week I was like, uh, we're basically definitely going to get gold in this competition, uh, <laughs> and uh, we were because we were like seventh place or something at the time. Yeah. Now yeah. we've been knocked down to like fifteenth. Uh, we're out of the gold range currently. Oof. Um. So I spoke too soon. Um. So I've been working on that one. It's the last two weeks for that competition, and so many people have moved up so fast, and and some two of the people have moved up like quite a bit further than we thought was like possible even mm. and so now we're all thinking there has to be a leak or there has to be something that like all these teams sort of found at once and so now we're trying to find that thing mm. um and so yeah we were feeling pretty good and now we're <laughs> now we're not so yeah been working on that um and i was working on the gps competition a little too i was in like 20th place and then someone came out with a public notebook that beat me and as soon as that happens like a whole bunch of people come behind and so i got knocked down to like 100th place or something Oof. and so i did a little bit of work to get back up to 20th place <laughs> and so uh I'm, I'm still in 20th on that one um that one is longer timeline though this this patent one ends in two weeks and so we're really trying to figure figure this one out so 
What yeah, a disc a to release a public notebook that beats your score. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, there's still, so so there's still like two months in the competition, so this is to, it's totally yeah. allowed. Uh, well, I mean, it's always allowed to release public notebooks, but when people really get angry is when someone releases a high scoring notebook in like the last week of a competition, mm-hmm. um, because then a whole bunch of people just come along and copy it. Yeah, and what it really does is it, um, it has mu- it means there's like way less interesting. Um, uh, solutions in the top hmm. and like everyone is basically a variant of the same solution and that's hmm. actually a worse uh, outcome usually especially for the people running the competition hmm. because what they want is they want lots of different ideas that all score pretty high if you get one idea that like scores really really high and everyone basically copies that idea then all they get is like that one model um when really what they want is sort of a r- variety of models to choose from so yeah so doing high scoring notebooks in the later stages of the competition is when it's really bad uh, but early in the competition it's fine usually. I had uh, two other questions on that. The the patent competition um, mm-hmm. where you just got knocked out of the uh, top ranking, could that be overfitting? I know that was a thing that I think you were dealing with. And then on the private leaderboard, uh, you're actually doing much better. Yes, certainly possible. Um, so we could be in the gold range still in the private leaderboard, and we won't know and for two more weeks. Um, you can usually get a sense for that a little bit by if there are if there are people in the top that have a lot of submissions you can see like how many submissions they have if they mm-hmm. have a lot of submissions then there's more of a chance they're overfitting to the public leaderboard mm-hmm. because that usually means they've been using the public leaderboard to like choose which models they're picking and then if you see people in the top with very few public submissions that usually means they're doing a really good job because that means they have some you know um, some cv like method that's like that, that's good uh, validation cross validation method which is um preventing that overfitting so uh so what's concerning is that a few of the people we saw jump really high have very few public submissions which means hmm. they've figured out uh, cross validation uh or have stumbled on a data leak which is also not good so yep okay that makes sense um second question also tying into the potential of like finding a way to be able to pay for your expensive GPUs. What happens from the company's perspective after one of these competitions? And so you you have the competition and, ah, we have this new way of, you know, we have six novel techniques of getting more accurate GPS data. Do they have their own internal team that then takes that and combines it into one good algorithm? Or uh, is that a service offered by Kaggle? Is that something that you could do as consulting that you could offer to these people? Like, hey, I understand this. I was one of the participants. I can combine all these for you and, and package it up for this amount of money? Yeah, it actually depends a lot on the competition. Um, so some competitions, the, the company has internal teams. Yeah, so they'll, they'll take the winning submissions and they'll sort of internally figure out which ones they want to use. Okay. Uh, sometimes the outcome is uh, just that the project is open sourced or the final submissions are open sourced. Um, that's, you know, so some... Some companies, so right now, for example, Foursquare is hosting a competition, and they already have what they consider to be the world's best uh, location matching um, thing, which is what they're trying to uh, find, which is basically like if you get descriptions of two different locations, are they the same thing or not? So like Hmm. if you get, you know, Starbucks at this address, is that the same as Starbucks at, you know, Starbucks coffee shop at this address? Hmm. Um, That kind of thing. Um, So all they're doing with the competition they say is open sourcing it and then getting people like used to this data set and stuff. And mm-hmm. they're probably trying to use it a little bit more for recruiting actually, or like sort of like PR. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another competition, which is happening now, which is the American express competition is explicitly using it for recruiting. So they say, you know, 
one, you can submit your resumes to us. So they say that directly. And then they also say that anyone who gets in the top, I don't remember what they said, but you'll have a chance. It sounds like basically to get hired by American Express in order to implement your solution inside of them. So mm. some companies explicitly say that's what they want to do. So yeah, it depends a lot on the competition. That's very interesting. It sounds like, I, I think I had a different idea of what Kaggle was. I think, I think I had a conception that it was like, if I'm a company and I have a data science problem that is going to be able to be solved well with ML, Kaggle is like a way that I can, Kaggle is like a, um, like a Fiverr or like a, like a 99 designs, but for yeah. the, uh, algorithm. And then once I get it, I can just plug and play that into the thing that I'm doing. Um, it sounds like that's not the case that it's, it's more publicity or it's more the closest that it comes to actually solving problems recruiting that then you'll hire the people who made the solutions. Um, does that sound right? It- well, it, it can be the case. So, for example, the bird song competition, yes. like they've taken models directly. They're, they're a nonprofit, and so they don't have a lot of resources. So they've taken models directly from the winning Kaggle solutions and implemented them. Um, but then other companies, usually companies with more money. So like the NFL ran one for player safety, or they've run several, and they basically hired the one of the top three people who won their competition uh, as a con- contractor to implement it inside of them. Um, yeah, and then other companies already have data teams. So yeah, it, it, it varies wildly. Okay, interesting. It'd be cool if this stuff was plug and play enough and data standardized enough that you could just say like, here's my standard data set and I'm trying to answer yeah. this problem and uh, this is the input and I'm desiring this output. I'll pay for the best score that can match the function. Uh, I'll, I'll pay for the uh, lowest, uh, oh, what's it called? Cost, cost function, is that right? Uh, cost objective loss one of those loss words. loss is the one loss. i was going for yeah yeah uh and then similar to 99 designs i just get a big old list of loss functions and i can uh run that against my private data set to see what's you know to filter out people who are overfitting um it can be a little like world. that but there's several problems one is that people do weird things for Kaggle competitions in order to win them. Like Mm. usually the winning solution is like an ensemble of many, many models when Mm. really in production, what you want is like one well-explained model. Mm. Um, And so even if it performs a little bit worse, it's like easier to do, you know, cheaper to run, easier to change all this stuff. Um, And then the other thing is um, when your it's called when your data changes so it's called domain shift like say over time your data changes slightly then your model actually gets worse and worse Mm. and so you have to retrain it and you have to like watch for this domain shift and stuff uh, or this you know ongoing change of your data and so like you can't just run a composition once and plug it in you have to Mm. run a competition and then constantly monitor and update that model so you still need people who understand what the model's doing Mm. um, to make it viable for business got it okay that makes sense. It's like code golf. You wouldn't post on a code golf website, like, yeah, write this code for me because the things that went on code golf are these incredibly obfuscated, uh, very condensed things that are maximizing the score of the fewest number of characters possible to, to get the bigger objective. But in an actual business context, you have other objectives other than just a minimized loss function. You, you You're playing this game over a long scale so it's not just this one data set it's uh can we manage drift um okay that makes sense what a fun yep. area i like this uh do you have any updates on the slack app 
Uh, yeah, I, I worked a little on that. Um, so uh, we had limited co-working time last week, but I spent some of it on the Slack app um, that I'm working on. And I got it almost to the point where I can resubmit it. Um, there are two difficult things left <laughs> to do. I did all the easy stuff. Uh, so now one of them is um, authenticate or not authentication, where like verification that the API calls that Slack are sending are actually coming from Slack. So mm-hmm. that involves checking headers and exchanging secrets and all this stuff, which is always kind of a big pain. Like they have a pretty nice tutorial to go through it, but it's like, you know, many pages long and <laughs> it's the kind of work I really don't like. But <laughs> That is one of the things I have to do. Um, and then something else, which I can't remember now, but yeah, then I'll be able to resubmit. So. Sweet. Close. Marching closer every yeah. day. I'm excited. Yep. Um, I think we've talked about this before, but uh, marketing after it's ready in the Slack app store, I know you, you might merely get a bump just by uh, having it be public in the Slack app store. Um, what, what's the plan to get people to use this? Good question. <laughs> Uh, right now, it's just get it in the Slack app store and then see how m- much traffic that drives. Um, okay. I have lots of things that I would like to do after that. But yeah, right now I'm focused on the Kaggle stuff and the my master's, which I may end up dropping the class in the next two days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I've been doing recently. Yeah. Okay. Reasonable. I'll take it. Yeah. Because <laughs> like for, for a Slack app, like the marketplace, I think, is going to be a big driver of yeah. traffic. So yeah, I think yeah see what happens after it's uh published and how great would it be if like you just merely having it published and like <laughs> playing the much easier to game seo game within the app store uh got you a steady stream of customers that'd be really cool uh, that'd be awesome uh probably not gonna happen <laughs> but we'll see. Well, it's see. nice to dream <laughs> that's right I'll, I'll be open for you um you mentioned the class that you might be dropping uh i think that's advanced operating systems Yes, advanced operating systems. Um, sorry, one second. I'm going to turn on my air conditioning because it is very hot in my room. Um, yeah, advanced operating systems, uh, which is not really on my machine learning like AI track, but it's I took took it because it's programming heavy, and I like the programming classes better than some of the theory classes that they have to offer. So, mm. like, I have to take ten classes in the program. So I was trying to decide, um, like, even though it's not ML specific, uh, it's still very interesting. Um, it's mostly like C programming. Um, so I think the class would be okay. Uh, it's just, I have a lot going on this summer. And so Mm. do I want to add a bunch of C programming on top of it? Um, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Operating systems. I remember from my undergraduate, uh, it was just an undergraduate class. It wasn't, I'm I'm sure in this class, they'd be going much more in depth of things, but of any class I took in my undergrad, I slacked off the most in that class. <laughs> I've never, I'm usually a great student. I'm usually like, you know, sitting in, in like the middle and the center, uh, not quite in the front, but like two rows back. Uh, and I'm prepared and I know what's going on and I can answer the questions. And in that class, for whatever reason, I just didn't care at all. So I would get to class and just like check my email the entire class. <laughs> there was this one moment that's just seared into my brain that's come up in multiple nightmares about like, you know when you have school nightmares that are like, ah, yeah. there was a test for a class that you didn't even realize you were signed up for. Yeah. Uh, it, it pulls me back to this moment of he he like pointed to me in the back, clearly not paying attention. <laughs> I'm in the very back row. And he's like, uh, Christian, what do you think about that? And I was like, um, well, <laughs> I had no idea what he just asked. <laughs> and I just, I, I wish I had said like, I'm so sorry, I wasn't paying attention. Can you repeat the question? And I didn't, and I tried to oh, bluff my way knew. through it. He, of course, he knew, and everyone <laughs> knew. 
<laughs> and I tried to I tried to play it off and I did not and he was like I, I just went off of like what was on the board I tried to just talk about what was on there vaguely and he was like no that's exactly what I just said is the obvious wrong answer and I was like oh yes of course <laughs> um, man it was it was bad uh, I, I've got some PTSD from my, my operating systems class so I hope I hope your class is better than that if you decide to take it oh man uh i this is funny because uh operating systems is one of the classes that i slacked off in college too actually (laughs) uh we we did we had group projects for the whole thing and like the whole thing was built on this one group project um Mm. and one of the people in my in my project was like really excited about it and he always had it done before we got to the group meetings and so i was like okay (laughs) all right like we had group meetings every week and he's like oh yeah i did that already (laughs) and so um so I ended up being the guy or everyone except for him in the group was like, did nothing. Um, so yeah. So as a result, I didn't learn it as well as I should have, uh, which, uh, so this was kind of a second chance to relearn some of the stuff I didn't, I didn't learn, which is one of the reasons I, uh, was going to take it. Um, yeah, that's funny. The only thing I remember from that class is round Robin queuing and Mm. forks. Uh, it was a big deal. We talked about that a lot and it was all in c so i've never used it but i guess the concept of it is sort of interesting the idea that like cpus can run around and push forward multiple jobs at once that's a cool idea uh cool oh on that topic i watched a few youtube videos this last week on rust because uh one of Mm -hmm. the founders of oh a big youtube channel uh crash course uh i forgot his name published a video like promoting rust as a language and that was surprising to me so i watched a few videos about it but it seems like it's uh like a, a high level language that's still as type safe and fast as c and that seems interesting do you know anything about rust yeah so in my parallel systems class we did one of the projects in rust oh that's right um, mm-hmm. yeah 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 uh so uh yeah if you're going to do stuff in c or c plus plus then rust is really great because yeah, you have low-level access. Um, you can still do unsafe things if you really want to. But it also, yes, is type-safe because of the way it... Uh, now I'm starting to forget. But because of the way th- things um, handle uh, data. So a function that creates data always has control of that data. I, I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I re- it, it was a bit of a paradigm shift in my head because we had just been doing C++. And then this Rust thing comes and you have to like do weird things especially with async code which is what we were doing mm. um which is one of the harder things in rust to do um, but if you want to do like c or c plus plus i would definitely look at rust mm. if you're not doing c or c plus plus type uh work then you probably don't need it so yeah. cool i'd like to play with it that I, I don't think i'm touching the use case for it of like ah you need this low level function to be faster um because everything I'm doing is on the scale of like hundreds of milliseconds. Like it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> right. But I think it'd be fun to stretch my brain in that way. I used to love learning new languages. I remember in college, I was just like, ah, Ruby and ah, <laughs> uh, Scala. And uh, there were there were some fun ones. Um, cool. I have three things I would like to talk about. Uh, I'd like to talk about personal life and then file inbox and then two things I'd like your hot take on. Uh, So first on the personal productivity, I am talking to you now from the first office I've ever had. That's not also the place where I sleep. And that (laughs) feels really cool. Moving in with Sarah came with this huge (laughs) perk of like, I get my own office in this condo. Uh, And that feels really cool. Like having a separate place to work 
means I can have like all my project stuff here. And it's this code switching of like, ah, if I'm in this room, I'm only doing work. And then if I'm in this other room, I'm eating. And if I'm in this other room, I'm sleeping. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I discounted the benefit of having a completely separate space. And that, that feels really good. Um, but part of the consequence of that is like a lot of this last week was spent moving stuff around still and uh, unpacking stuff and putting stuff away and uh, just getting more settled. But uh, I, I think it's important not to discount the importance of that uh if i'm like like if there's a low level problem going on of like my stuff isn't organized i think that's always the best layer to be focusing effort uh as opposed to trying to stumble through the the higher level effort so uh did a lot of work in that and also along those lines i have some travel coming up i'm going to santorini uh, with Sarah next week. So travel, uh, work stuff is going to get disrupted again, which I feel a little frustrated about, but, uh, I'd like to still be getting some stuff done because I know if I'm traveling and only traveling and only doing fun stuff, I'd start to feel listless. So I'd like to like, it would also maximize my enjoyment of the trip if I'm also getting some stuff done. Um, and then I'll be in Boston, but in Boston I'll be able to uh, be working still. So, uh, yeah, we, we have two more disruptive things coming up, but then after that, I <laughs> just be cruising. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for like my physical situation to get boring and uh, know that I'll be in the same place. Uh, so that's that. Uh, next thing is file inbox. I pushed forward a lot of it with you this week on co-working, uh, even though we only worked this last week for five hours and 25 minutes, um, which I was looking at that like that feels really low based on what we usually do. If it's like, you know, two hours a day. Um, but I'd forgotten that there were several days that we didn't do co-working. And then I remembered, oh yeah, on the days when we didn't do co-working, I just fell apart. I, I like <laughs> just flitted off in, into space thinking about other stuff and uh, with this intention of like, oh, I'll just watch this one YouTube video and then uh, get back to file inbox. And I did not. So uh, I'm, I feel like I really locked in. Like this is a very important thing in my life to be able to uh, do co-working with you. This has solved a huge problem. And I was reminded of the value of it uh by not having it so uh co-working is very important um i finished the upload notification emails uh that feels nice. really good and it's it's done in this really solid way um where I, I wrote tests for the thing that generates the email and then the actual email part that gets sent to the user is in this flexible thing that if i wanted to change the verbiage or add something to it i could do that very easily um I think I on on that I'd love to get your take on test driven development. I was re reminded this last week how fun it is for me to do TDD. I had a lot of resistance to it at first because I had this mentality of like ah everything has to be TDD and it just felt like this weight. But in specific context of like pure functions, if if there's a, a complicated function that has a defined input and a defined output. TDD has become my favorite way of writing those sorts of functions. It's like this fun adversarial game with myself of like I, uh, it, it's like, uh, writing contracts with, with, uh, mythological demons where you have to like word what you want very precisely. So I'll say something like, okay, for this function with this email, uh, you know, the subject of the email based on the data should be, uh, new file from, uh, Christian Jenko. And then I'll switch modes to being the demon who's trying to follow the rules and pass the test. And I'll be like, oh, return the literal string 
uh, <laughs> new file from Christian Jenko. <laughs> and then I'll switch back to like the test writing mode and be like, okay, well, <laughs> let's do another test then with a, a different thing. Like, yes, you passed my test, but that that's not actually what I was what I was uh, wanting. Um, and I find it really fun. And uh, I, I had an experience today where I was doing some refactoring and was able to do so really confidently because I knew, uh, even though I was doing some major changes and totally switching up where logic was with things, as long as my tests passed, I've done it successfully. And I don't even have to think about all the edge cases that past me has already thought about because they're already passing. Um, that was a lot of words uh, without uh, letting you sorry. The question I'd like to ask you is just like, TDD, how do you feel about it? Uh, do, do you have a similar experience? Yeah, so I think I may have said this on this podcast before, but uh, generally, uh, I don't like tests. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, yeah, and not like uh, philosophically or anything. I just don't like writing them. Um, I think they're gr- I, th- I think they're great when you're on a team and you're like trying to make sure that people don't break the build, like because you know you're not touching everything. But hmm. my favorite way of coding is uh, uh, favorite mostly impractical way of coding is by myself super fast and Mm. tests are not conducive to that um uh however i still recognize their value um one of the one of the places i wrote the most tests ever in my life was for this very particularly super dense business heavy uh logic for these business rules that were happening um this is back when I was doing um, real-time location with RFID tags and we were getting all this data and all this data had to make it a very certain way into a very certain report for the government. Uh, Mm. Government reports have to be a very, you know, have to be right and they have to be a certain way. And it was also extremely easy to mess up and, but everything looked right. Mm. So like the report still rendered and the numbers looked sort of right, but they were wrong. Um, So we wrote lots and lots of tests for that. And that was very good because we could actually show that we were doing the reports the right way. for other tests, I will write them if I'm forced to. Otherwise, I don't like doing them. <laughs> um, yeah, which is that's not an opinion I hold very strongly. Like I, I like I recognize the value of tests. I just don't like writing them. So that's how I feel about it. <laughs> I totally hear you that it it makes the most sense on teams, especially you know if I was on a team with junior developers who I didn't like very much, I would I would write tests to be like stop messing that's with not, my code. Like, that's not what I mean. But okay. Oh, <laughs> what what do you mean? <laughs> I just I just mean like on a team you're writing like everyone say in their own little modules or whatever and the modules interact together yes. and so you don't always know for example if you do something in yours that if it breaks someone else's module because you're not always testing for that yes like okay. you're usually testing your own code and it works fine but then when it interacts with this other thing it breaks it and you just weren't test you just weren't checking for that because you're not in that every day so what automated yeah, tests do especially on teams is make sure the interactions between different people's code work it's not that you don't okay. like them or don't trust them or anything okay. it's just you're not thinking <laughs> thinking about that use case yeah I I haven't worked very much on I, I guess the last coding team i worked on was like in college on group projects and uh it went badly <laughs> I, I ended up getting in the first semester we were on a team <laughs> i was such a little asshole i they they uh they had like a group report at the end of it where each individual person was supposed to write like what did you think of working on this team and uh I had taught myself Ruby on Rails and the, the group project was a web app. So like I was the person who was coming to the meeting every week. Like, well, I already did it. So that, that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. And I got sort of annoyed because like we had just taken a databases class. And so uh, one of the other people on the team, uh, oh, I, I, I'm not going to say this person's name, uh, <laughs> was making recommendations that just didn't make sense at all to me. Like mm-hmm. splitting up the user record for no reason into two arbitrary sub records and i was like no 
uh, like maybe based on this one thing that he said in this one lecture this one time, but that's just not how you actually do it based on these uh, Rails tutorials that I've read um, and watched and uh, Ryan Bases Railcast. So I uh, in the in the report at the end of the semester, I was like, you know, I really learned a lot about working with people who. <laughs> In terms as harsh as this, I, I think I worded it something like uh, working with people who like don't know as much as me and like yeah. not getting frustrated when they try to make stupid recommendations. And then uh, what do you know it at the beginning of the next semester? They were like, hey, Christian, you're actually on your own team this semester. <laughs> and I was like, fantastic. <laughs> didn't, didn't really think anything of it, but uh, it's probably because I was really mean and uh, didn't work well oh. on teams. Yeah. Um, that's why I have the career I do today. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, yes. So testing, uh, I, oh, the, the thought came to mind of, um, your much healthier motivation for having testing on teams. Uh, it's sort of like you have built your own little avatar to like defend your code, even if <laughs> you're not of. there. Yeah. So when I'm on my computer making my tests and I'm like, ah, is this cool with everybody? You have your little representative there that's like, ah, no, that's not cool with me because I was depending on you to do this thing in this circumstance and that's not okay. So you need to talk to the real Chris because Avatar Chris is saying that uh, this isn't good. Or you can just deal with me and then uh, we're, we're good to go. Uh, that's a, a cool image. Uh, cool. That's TDD. Oh, I had this came up again because I had two really spooky things happen with my security rules in Firebase. Uh, for anyone doesn't, who doesn't know, like the, the the benefit of Firebase is that you don't have to think about your backend. It's it's very highly abstracted. Google scales it for you. You have very few interactions with the, the actual backend as a backend. But one of the things that you have to interact and be very, very careful with when dealing with Firebase is the security rules, which say like, these are the circumstances in which people can access every type of data at each place. So that's like, you know, things, if, if anyone can upload a file, but only the owner of the page can uh, download the file. And I realized horrifyingly last week that I had a bug in that code that let anyone view all of the responses for a page. This hasn't shipped yet. This didn't affect anyone, but I was horrified. Uh, and so I, oh, uh, fix that real quick. And then I saved it and I was like, phew, okay, well that, that bolt dodged. And then again today, I noticed that the fix that I did made it so that no one except me could access any, <laughs> any of the pages. Like I, I had written it in such a way that only the administrator, who was me, there was only one administrator yeah. in, the, in the whole database, uh, would, would be able to, to access this. Uh, so that's bad. So coming off of this uh, TDD stuff uh, in writing the emails, I am now very motivated to really locked down like it's going to take 10 times longer than it did to, to write the rules to write all the tests for it but man it's going to give me such peace of mind and then in the future if, if there's ever any bug or there's ever any change i want to make by by just adding on to the tests first and playing this adversarial game i'm, I'm just going to feel rock solid confident and confident in like making big um refactoring changes or something um but man i it, it, it was spooky and i feel very motivated in this circumstance to invest more into into writing tests yeah so even in with my dislike for tests this is like the perfect application of tests because it's a we'll call security a module like it's it's a high impact uh module like a very important thing that you don't think about very often that you could probably easily break if you like 
copy and paste your thing and forget the rule or whatever um mm-hmm. that you know yeah will meaningfully m- meaningfully affect your business if, like, if it went wrong and so uh yeah all those things oh and also it doesn't change like very often like you mm-hmm. you always want the rule to be the same and so you write the test once and it should be like that always it's not like the the tests that i used to hate the most are like um like integration tests where it expected a certain string to be on the web page when it rendered. Mm, and like, mm. it's like, if we change the, like, if we want to change the wording a little bit, then all of our tests break. And then we got it like that. That always felt wrong to me. Um, mm-hmm. But security rules should change very rarely or whatever and need to be enforced. And so, yeah, that's the perfect application for unit tests, I think. Cool. I feel validated. Um, oh, I had the thought also when you were describing teams, like, like it, it you don't feel like it makes sense for you uh, if, if it's code base that only you're going to touch to write tests. Um, I have felt like in, in projects where I've invested in TDD, I have felt like I'm on a team of me and myself from the past <laughs> that like, I, it's it's sort of like that avatar thing, but it's, it's an advocate of me when I was trying to write the code originally, uh, which makes things like refactoring much easier. Um, it, it's a, my view is a little more nuanced than that. It's, uh, I don't care because I don't like them so much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like I recognize that in the, that future me uh, would have an easier time if I wrote tests, but present yeah. me really doesn't want to write them. So I don't. That's fair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the biggest hurdle for me is just in setting up the environment for testing. Like, yeah. Once the environment's set up, I feel like it, it flows easily and I, I get into a rhythm and uh, I have my little monitor set up of like on my monitor where I will usually have the output from the HTML where it's in a web browser. I have instead the live rendering tests and then I hit save on my code and then I look over and ah, it's instantly refreshed. But getting to that point, like I think the last time I did it, it took me, I think it took me like two or three days. Um, but then once I've done it in a particular environment with the particular setup of whatever the thing is, and now that I'm standardizing things sort of like in this React next Firebase place, um, it, it's getting easier and easier. But it's still a slog every time to, to get to the point where I can write a test with the data that I need to have access to and be able to change things in the right way. And um, that's that's the part I really don't like. That's yeah. the friction. If I had easier ways to write tests for all of my code, I think I'd be writing a lot more tests. I think in your case too, because I watched you during co-working struggle through this for a couple of days and I, I think it helps you understand your environment better because yeah. like there were parts about it that I think I feel like you came away with a better understanding of, of how Firebase all connected together and worked and yeah. stuff. So that's good. Yeah, it really does force you to like understand what's going on backwards and forwards. So yeah, that felt good. Um cool. Last thing on file inbox. I in 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 this vein of like I wanna make 20k MRR in uh, uh, 50 more weeks. Um, I'm trying to come up with ways that I can be consistently spending effort to be consistently getting customers. And I was talking with a, a friend about this, and they had the recommendation that feels so spooky that I just want to I just want to say it out loud and then hear what you have right. to say about it. The recommendation was I could call local businesses. Just like I look them up in Google and I, I Google like accountants near me and I just yep. make a list and I go from top to bottom and I call them on the phone and I say something along the lines of, hello, I am a local software developer. I'm in you know, on this street just down the road from you. Um, I have a weird request. I'd like to ask you a little bit about uh, the software that you're using to receive files from your clients. Do you have five or 10 minutes to chat about that? And then not trying to sell them, but like honestly trying to understand what they're currently using and, and why they're currently using that, like doing a userless style interview. Um, 
spend five or ten minutes just like chatting with them about it and then at the end of the call be like great are there any questions you have for me uh thank you very much goodbye and if the conversation happens to go to a place where they say oh we're using citrix share file but it sucks and then i say why does it suck and they say ah because uh, blah 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 and i say oh that's interesting that you would say that because i actually am building a thing that's the reason i'm talking to you about this uh and and it solves blah 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 um and if not i think you know in, in the worst case i think this would just get me a better idea of for a specific uh uh focusing of a customer vertical uh not a niching but a, a focus uh what their needs are and what they actually care about uh this sounds so scary <laughs> uh, what, what are your what are your thoughts on this uh yeah it's, uh scary sure uh also i think it sounds great i think you should do it um part of the reason it's scary i think for you is because you're like well one cold calling people is scary uh, i have a fix for that later uh, i'll say that um but yeah. cold calling people is scary um you probably also think this is gonna take a lot of time and it probably really won't um you're probably afraid of rejection you probably won't get as reject re rejected as harshly as you think um some other things but so so i've done a variant of this before actually so this was a long time ago when i was trying to figure out what i wanted to do and uh so I, instead of emailing, so this is the fix if your emailing scares you, I call, or sorry, instead of calling, I cold emailed companies. Um, I don't remember how I found them. I think I just found them like, yeah, local companies. And I basically said, yeah, I'm a local, I'm a local entrepreneur. I was emailing owners of small businesses. And so it really helps to connect them if you're like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a small business owner too. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to talk about, you know, these two things. Um, you know, yeah, do you have five or 10 minutes to, to talk now? you'll probably get a higher response rate cold calling, but mm. just cold emailing. I think I emailed like 10 businesses and talked to like five people. Really? So like, yeah, so it's a huge, uh, yeah. I was like, I, I have nothing. Uh, well, this might be a little different for you. I was like, I have nothing to sell. I just want to understand this, this, and this. Mm. Um, and they were really happy to talk to me. These are, you know, like small business people who it's, you know, it's probably a sacrifice for them to call me, but like they were, they seemed very interested and they all followed up and they like, um, so it was actually a really good experience. Um, so yeah, I recommend you do it. This is starting to sound less scary. 50% response rate is really high. That's really It was good. huge. I mean, it was because it was, yeah, I was I like, it was in my city and I mm. said I was a small business owner and they were small business owners. Mm. And so like, yeah, it was a really high response rate. Cool. Okay. You know what? I have friends who are accountants too. I could just call them. I could start with them. Do, do that <laughs> first. Yes. Ah. Okay. I don't know why. The other yeah, thing, I think it's other... a fear of rejection. I think it's like a fear of, mm -hmm. what do I think? I, I've always had like a baseline anxiety calling people uh i think my fear is they're gonna be like what is this who are you <laughs> you're you can't be calling me so <laughs> so anyone under say 35 yeah I'm, I'm 36 so anyone under like say 38 <laughs> uh would say that but yeah. most small business owners are 50 i don't know you know yeah like they're used to calling people like 20 years ago no one had email everyone called <laughs> each other all the time yeah um so they're used to that yeah okay all right. I could call my own accountant. I haven't had this conversation with my accountant who I pay money. Ah, okay. Yes. Good. Uh, they like also, it. they get less scary the more you do them. So start warm, start with friends, start with your okay. own accountant, and then it will be less scary to talk to the next one. Yeah. You know what I feel like I need to do? Like, there, there was a there was a sales anecdote I heard one time where, uh, this may have been in Rich Dad Poor Dad or something, but it, it, someone on a sales team uh, had a bowl of paper clips and, uh, 
this was in the context of like this this person came into this company in their sales department and over the course of a year became not just like the top performer salesperson but he like outperformed every other salesperson combined or some ridiculous numbers and uh he was being interviewed asked like what is your secret how, how are your numbers so good and he was like uh oh he's paper clips and they were like what are you talking about and he said well i have two bowls on my desk uh one of them is empty and the other one has a bowl of 100 paper clips and every day uh I move the paper clips from one bowl to the other, and I can only move a paper clip after I've made a phone call, uh, like an outreach or something. And that's how I was able to, like, <laughs> just because he was dialing so many people, uh, even if it's a cold call and you're only getting a 1% response rate, like, okay, that's one a day. If I'm getting one more customer a day, like, over the course of a month, that's increasing MRR by what? Even if it's the lower plan, if it's if it's thirty dollars a month times thirty, that's increasing MRR every month by nine hundred dollars over the course of the next twelve months. That's ten thousand eight hundred dollars. That's like, uh, what like seventy percent of the way there of where I need to go for uh to get it to to twenty k MRR in twelve months. Like, yeah. and if you use our SAS math, then multiply by twelve and then multiply by five, right? So it's like then it's ridiculous. A half a million- a half million yeah. dollars in extra value <laughs> yeah by making a hundred calls a day like i could do that in two hours i don't know uh yeah so that's that's the sort of thing that i want to be focused on i feel like i feel like i'm really good at making software and ah uh, i feel like i'm pretty good at making software and i feel like i'm pretty good at like helping people and being empathetic and like understanding problems uh and i feel like where i really fall down is on the sales part of like finding people who have the problem and then selling my thing to them. And if I just, maybe I, I think something that might work for me well is like reading books on sales, uh, coming at it from the perspective of if I was merely focused on selling, how do I maximize that game? In the same way that I feel like Ali Abdul's part-time YouTuber Academy really honed my ability to like make videos and, and help people. Um, I feel like I want to do that sort of thing, but for sales and, and really just think about it from a sales perspective. Um, and then in the course of that context, they're going to be like, you're going to be selling someone else's thing and only working on commission. And so you got to really grind to make enough money. But the place I would be approaching that from is like, I just need to do enough sales for me. Like I'm capturing a hundred percent of this thing. And, uh, salespeople, I think would bump into a wall of not understanding the technical parts of the product very well. So, uh, if I can do that. I, I like like by being pretty good at software and pretty good at helping people and pretty good at sales i feel like i've i can combine those things to be really 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 good at SaaS. yeah i think part of the reason that this feels sort of icky for you and for me so i'm bad at this too um it says yeah we hate being cold called we hate being sold to mm-hmm. um and so all of these things just feel really gross um what i found when i talk to people well i wasn't selling something so it's a little different but not only were they happy to talk to me uh, and very interested. A lot of them thanked me afterwards. They said, your questions really made me think deep, you know, in more detail about what I was doing. Um, mm-hmm. like more than one person said that, and they were going to change something in the business because of it. And like, so patio 11, Patrick McKinsey has this quote, which is something like, um, like, well, so first of all, you're, you're not who you're selling to. Um, if you cold call someone and they talk about their business to you, that's probably like the most exciting call of their day. Like everything mm-hmm. else is like bills and, and like <laughs> handling employee stuff. Yeah. Um, and you're not if, if your thing actually helps people, hmm. then it's it's a benefit to call them. Um, yeah. And so a lot of the 
a lot of the fear I think that I feel is like, am I going to be like, am I going to be wasting this person's time? Mm -hmm. And I think you sort of have to trust that on the balance, you're actually not going to be wasting someone's time, even if you don't sell them anything, even if they don't, you know, like it's just interesting for them to talk to you Mm -hmm. um, for both parties. And it actually may help them even if you don't sell them anything like you just talking to them. So yeah, I mean, just try it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to try it today. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going right. to look up on Google maps. I'm just going to accountant and I'm just going to, I'm just going to call them and it's, it's going to feel bad. I will ask you next time how it went. Good. <laughs> ah, okay. Good. Yeah. And it's like any, like I've been through this so many times. It's going to be really hard at first and then it's going to get easy. And then yeah, I'm going to, I'll just be doing it by default. I'll do like 20 a day or something and it's going to feel like nothing. And it, you know, I'll, I can hire Rachel to help me and, do the work that she can do of like putting together a list of these things. Um, she's been sort of spinning her wheels since the uh, customer support email uh, inbox has gotten back to zero. Um, so if I can have some, which, which is awesome, by the way, yeah, I don't think oh, we talked about that. I'm so, did we not? It got to zero. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. 2000 emails in it. And she went all the way down to zero and yeah, it's so she's, she's totally got up with that. Um, and that's just a thing I'm not thinking about now. Like when, when I'm going to Santorini next week, customer support will be taken care of. And that's a goal that I've had for so long that I've finally unlocked it. Oh, it feels so good. Um, so yeah, if, if, if she can also be, uh, maintaining a list for me of like, uh, Rachel, I need at least 20 people added to this list per day. Here's the criteria for adding them to the list. They can't be on the list already. Uh, they should be geographically close to me. They should be a business of one of these three types. Uh, I need their phone number and their email address, and I want you to send the email address. Uh, well, maybe the email. I'll I'll just call them for uh, so just just the phone number, but also have the email address just for yeah. fun. Um, and then she can be feeding me, and then eventually, where I'd love to take this to is like having the confidence that that's a worthwhile enough thing to do that I could hire someone else to do it. Um, hmm. If I could justify hiring a salesperson to be doing that, like I I. I need to be doing it at first to to define the process and understand how it works and like be getting the the business insight from it and uh, if I can turn that into a process of like here is the script of the things that you say to the person and the questions ask them to validate them and the thing that you do to to sell them on it and then you get this commission afterwards um, that's I feel like where things get fun because then I can just say like wow Rachel I'm gonna have way more of your hours so that you can do the same process but in these ten other cities and uh filling up these 10 other lists and then uh i i hired 10 salespeople to do what i was doing uh you know when everything's on firebase and customer support is also handled not by me in a scalable way like i feel like that's when business starts to get fun uh and that's where i want to go wanna, yeah want to scale this up. um so yes definitely do at least one how many want how do you want how many do you want to do today one i want to do one today i feel like one okay. yeah okay i want to so, call one person today so do How about one. I want to I talk to one person today. Okay. Okay. I'm going to talk to one person. I'm going to keep calling people until I talk to one person today. Great. Okay. Great. So do that. Good. And I will ask you about that tomorrow. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> and then after you do that, so don't yep. do this before, but after you do that, uh, to get excited about doing stuff like this, yes. uh, Steli FD from close.com, uh, yes. used to be close.io. He has given lots of conference talks and they are all like, he's super peppy and has high energy and he makes you excited about things you're scared about with sales. (laughs) uh, That's how I would describe him, his speaking style. So yes, after you talk to at least one person, go YouTubing for uh, Steli FD. Any of his conference talks are great. Uh, Cool. Yeah. He was at the very first microconf that I went to uh, and I got to talk to him and uh, I emailed him 
to be on my advisor list and then i sent like two advisor update emails and then never sent any after that uh yeah still is a still is a cool guy i <laughs> i cut together he's a he's a very enthusiastic guy and he yes. makes uh prolific use of profanity and I'm, i took a conference talk he did one time and i did a supercut of just the profanity <laughs> and it, it was like a half hour conference talk and it was like a 45 second clip <laughs> like just <laughs> it was it was really funny uh but yeah like he i i feel like that's a really good embodiment of the thing that i want to be better at like he's really good at selling he's really good at taking a thing and like unabashedly saying like you need this thing this thing would help you and yeah it has flaws but who cares like it's gonna help you buy it um and that's a that's a mentality that i'd like to be further embodying um cool last section from me uh totally switching gears in uh <laughs> a, a unproductive direction based on what we just talked about well right. no because it's it's still like this, this can be i can have hobbies and things that i'm doing on the side that sure uh, yeah uh sure uh <laughs> i have two things i want your hot takes on uh the first is something that we have talked about before uh that you said was a good idea uh a finance tracker to render your expenses in tree maps um yeah. i we talked about it previously as a quickbooks integration um sarah and i are going through financial peace university by dave ramsey uh and one of the first modules talks about putting together a budget as a couple and they have the recommended app that they made uh to do your budget and five minutes into entering my information in the app i was like this is dumb i want to make my own app oh actually <laughs> this sort of ties into uh the uh personal finance tracker that the, the finance tracker thing that i was going to do uh on quickbooks uh where did my money go dot app is the working title for this thing and I, th I think I just want to bounce off of you. Like I'm seeing the same use case potentially useful for two very different audiences. The audience that we talked about before was people on QuickBooks and that would look like a QuickBooks integration that then slurps in all your QuickBooks stuff, which is pre-categorized. And I'm just rendering this graph for you of uh, being able to see your expenses, like that the size of them is, is how big the expenses. And then you can see subcategories, like how big is the subcategory? Um, a tree map is the, the name of that sort of graph. Um, the way that I want to use this is in personal finance to be able to see how much money did we spend as a couple last month and where was that money spent? So I can see this big box of like, wow, you know, each individual time we ate out didn't feel like that much, but actually looking at this as a whole, this box is like the biggest box, you know, th this box is as big as rent. Um, so if we're trying to reduce our expenses in the same way that you use a tree map really effectively to like find files on your hard drive that are eating up your hard drive space, um, that can either be in single big expenses or a bunch of tiny expenses that are in the same category. Um, that, that sort of graph would then help me narrow down and be able to see, um, where to cut back expenses. And, uh, two two small things I want to say to, to flesh this idea out a little bit better. Um, I didn't realize it seems reasonably straightforward to plug into bank accounts and be able to get bank transaction data through uh, Stripe just announced that they're going to support being able to do this. And then a company called Plaid, uh, as long as I write some documents that say like, I don't share my password with anyone and I uh, <laughs> all of my employees like keep virus protection software on their laptops or something, uh, they will give me API access to then be able to authenticate to other people's bank accounts um, to be able to pull in transaction data and then and then generate this graph. Um, so that's the first thing is like, technically it's it's pretty cool. Um, 
and then the second thing I was going to say has completely lost uh, contact with my brain. So uh, I don't remember what that was. But uh, what's your hot take on pivoting this? Well, I don't know. I, I think it's a much better product if it's for QuickBooks. And it's a cool technical problem and would benefit me and Sarah directly if I'm using budgeting in this way. Uh, how how would you be thinking about that as a project? Yeah, okay, so a few things. Uh, one, doing it for yourself I think is awesome. You'll probably get a much better understanding of your finances and everything if you do it for yourself. So great, do whatever, whatever you want to do it for yourself, that's fine. If you want to do it and just put it out there for the world, then um, I guess do whatever you want is what I was going to say. Like do a personal, you know, personal tracker. That's fine. But if you actually want to make money, what I would do first um, is, so this is, this is another conference talk homework for you. Go watch the person who built y, uh, You Need a Budget, YNAB, did a microconf talk and go listen to how difficult it was to uh, get a personal budget tracker off the ground. Hmm. Um, and then don't do anything consumer to, you know, your business to consumer. <laughs> like mm -hmm. don't do a personal one. Um, if you actually want to make money, there are, there are actually now two options. So the first is the QuickBooks things, which we talked about before. The second is what you mentioned. So Stripe met, uh, released basically a Plaid competitor. Um, I've used Plaid before and it's really finicky and difficult. Hmm. I would avoid them unless they got a lot better in the last few years. Okay. Um, but Stripe just released something and Stripe also just released a marketplace. Um, have you seen it? Uh, yes. No. Yes. Stripe now has a an app directory. I don't think they're calling it a marketplace. Okay. Uh, so I would look very carefully at Stripe's API for connecting to bank accounts and at their new marketplace uh, or app directory, whatever they're calling it. Interesting. That, yeah, especially if Plaid's API is finicky and Stripe's API is like a brand new thing. This could be a, I, I could I could potentially be riding the wave of um, it being a new app store app. That, that would still, I think, be B2C though. And I agree that B2C is not the, the way to go I, with this. I don't, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, business, businesses use Stripe. So there's lots of businesses that connect their bank accounts. Yeah. yeah. I think if you're, if you're categorizing expenses though, like I could plug it directly say, into your bank account, but then you'd have to like recategorize it in my thing and categorize it in QuickBooks. And I think most people are using something like QuickBooks. The, hmm. the other thing I say is this is a giant distraction from filing box. And so. Of course. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. <laughs> you can, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. I didn't know the one I've created did a comment stock. That's I'd, I'd like to watch yeah, that. I would watch um, that one. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I think my takeaway from this is I just need to pull it back to like what what do I need and what I need is like I need to parse these four CSVs from our bank accounts and then that's my source of data and then I just manually go through yeah. that once a month or something. So uh, if you watch the yeah, YNAB talk, uh, he talks about the, like his first thing was an Excel spreadsheet that he just sold as an Excel cool. spreadsheet. So if what you have at the end of this is like a script which will take, you know, Chase Bank's CSV and parse it and turn it into yeah, a nice yeah. visualization, sell that on Gumroad for 25 bucks and see if anybody buys it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and in the worst case, like this can just be a thing that I share with friends that like, <laughs> show yeah. me what the CSV looks like when you export it from your bank. Uh, let me write a script real quick to change the column names. Great, you drag and drop that CSV once a month into this thing and that'll generate this graph for you. Yeah, okay, I think that makes a lot more sense. Um, thank you for the clarity. Uh, I have a second distraction from file inbox. Uh, right. That's also something we've talked about before. Um, NFTs have crashed. Uh, there's, there's the famous case of like the the first NFT 
uh, the the NFT that was the first tweet from yes. Jack Dorsey on Twitter sold initially for some hundreds of millions of dollars, and I, I was think like it two was and a half million, million, I think something like that. But yeah, yeah, like it, it drastically crashed in value. Um, also, like just the concept of JPEGs as art things, and it just seems really silly to me. Even like the integration that Twitter did with uh, OpenSea to be able to have an NFT in your profile picture, like you can oh, right. just mint a new NFT with that exact image. And unless someone's really digging to see like, but who minted this NFT? Like it, it looks identical. Uh, so I think that's kind of silly. You can also just set your thing to a hexagon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've seen several people do that. And then, and then have, when you click on it, it's a square image with white yep. in the background in the hexagon. And then the, the one that I clicked on at the bottom had in really uh, light text, like low contrast, this is dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I agree. Um, yeah, the, the image thing doesn't make sense, I don't think. And uh, I found myself coming back to this idea this last week of buying NFTs of blog posts. So here's my pitch of this product. You, I'm selling this to blog owners of popular blogs. So it would be like Mr. Money Mustache or like XKCD. And I say, hey, you know that whole NFT thing? Dumb, right? But I'm trying a new angle on it. Uh, where you can sell an NFT of your blog posts. And the metadata that you're selling that's unique is the URL of the blog post. And uh, the only thing you need to do as an integration to this is paste this line of JavaScript into your page at the point where you want to show the current owner of the current page or a link to be able to buy the NFT of that page. And then you need to set this DNS record that has your Ethereum address of where you want your money to go to when people buy it. Uh, and that's it. And then money will just start going in. And there's like, I think this is wild west enough that I don't need to worry about like buying and selling taxes or, or whatever else. Like I think because it's all in Ethereum, uh, it's okay. And I, I, I would make money from this just taking cut of the Ethereum. Uh, that would get real fuzzy if this got big, but like <laughs> as a, as a hacker side project, I think, I think it would be okay for now. Um, the experience then when you're a user of the site is you go to the blog post, you see, ah, I've linked people to this blog post six times. And this is very important for me in my life. What's this? I can buy the NFT of this page and it shows up in this box. That's cool. Let me click that. You get linked to OpenSea or whatever the market account is. You transfer uh, a certain number of uh, Ethereum into it. And now your name is listed as the owner of that page. Um, that's sort of this, like, it's not quite advertising space and it's not that you own rights to it. It's just like you've bought... <laughs> this <laughs> ephemeral uh idea of ownership of this thing uh and and anyone can go to this page and see that you are the owner of it uh this solves a few of the problems of nfts of like you know that it's legit because it's on the person's page um it's not like these pictures of monkeys where it's just a picture of the monkey and anyone can have the picture of the monkey it's like okay well there is there's uniqueness in the url that like everyone is going to this page and on this page i am listed as the owner that that feels much more valuable and then if i think other people would find it valuable too i would put a lot more money into it as sort of an investment of like ah i found about this blogger when they were small and i bought a whole bunch of their pages and i've sold several of them for more than i bought them for uh so there's this like secondary market effect uh what, what's your take on this? Recognizing that this is a distraction <laughs> and um, uh, I shouldn't be working on it. Yeah. Um, so I actually like this idea, not because I think it's a good idea. It might be, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but be, but uh, because if you're interested in the Web3 space at all, um, yeah. now is actually a pretty cheap time to get into it because gas fees have come way down from what I yeah. understand. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's way cheaper to, to do things. Um, also because if you actually create something, it's probably going to be crazy hard to get people to buy into it right now yeah but 
if and when crypto goes crazy again, you will be ready to capitalize on that. And all yeah. it would take is one or two big blogs to do this to get a real, uh, you know, like knock on effect. Like, yeah. because, you know, your link will be in the JavaScript widget or whatever. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I like this uh, as a learning exercise in the Web3 space. Okay. It's inexpensive compared to what it used to be. Um, and maybe it's a good idea. Maybe not. I don't know. But, okay. um, <laughs> uh, but it sounds neat enough to work on a little bit. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Okay. I like that framing. This is also like, this solves a problem we were talking about several dozen episodes ago of like what my web three project is to try to learn the space. I think initially I was thinking like a gambling site and that's a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. or like, it, it sounds great. It, oh, the, the thing I was going to say is so, well, first of all, taxes shouldn't be an issue because from my understanding, money will be transferred from the buyer to the seller and then some will come to you. And so you don't actually touch the bulk of the money. That's my understanding, but correct. Yeah. Yeah, but like um, but then, the, the, my trepidation in this is like if I was doing all of this, but with like the idea would still work with USD on Stripe. Sure. And if I was doing it that way, that money would need to be reported to the IRS as income and, and all that other stuff. Then if you're using Stripe, I use Stripe Connect um, because then Stripe handles all that. And it's the same thing. The bulk of the money transfers directly and you just get a cut. Stripe, I think, I think Stripe no longer supports uh, uh, crypto. Oh, I thought you meant Stripe with USD. If if I was doing it in USD, yeah, that yeah. I need to pay yeah, taxes yeah. on it. But I think if it's right. an Ethereum, I, it it just feels weird. I don't I don't know if if I was doing exactly the same thing right. in Ethereum, I it feels like the tax situation is fuzzier. I see what you're saying. Uh, something to figure out in your discovery. Um, yeah. But the yeah. other thing I was going to say is make sure the one thing that you want to get right is whatever contract actually uh, happens, like yep. legal contract. So there was some weird thing recently where someone seth green or something was going to use an nft he bought in a show but then someone stole it from him and now he doesn't have the rights to it or something anyway rights for using something if i was a a, like xkcd for example and i wanted to sell my pages as nfts i want to make sure i still own everything on that page Mm. you buy this nft you do not own it i own it you have the right to say you're the the owner of this page even though you don't actually own it or something like Mm whatever actual contract gets signed because there's still a legal contract um, okay. even though it's all on the blockchain and so make sure that le- the legal verbiage actually is correct <laughs> yeah okay but other than that yeah that, that'd be bad like, if someone bought it and had a different idea of like, and then like <laughs> then there, the, the blog some... doesn't realize that they just sold like the publishing rights to other blog posts yeah right yeah, okay I wouldn't I wouldn't want to make that clear that like the only thing you're buying is saying that you're the owner on in this box and, and you get nothing right. else okay but other than that confusion sounds like a neat project so yeah. cool um another advantage of it is gas fees kind of don't matter for it because uh the nft doesn't get minted until a person says they want to buy it so like you're, the right. person buying it is paying the initial gas fees um which is a trick i learned from the, the nft space um cool um yeah I, I like the framing of just like this is a fun project to learn about web3 um, so this is an option of a project I can work on in the time that I'm not doing my main filing <laughs> box stuff. Cool. Thank you very much, Chris. That's all I got. Uh, that's all I got too. Then I'll see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>